Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. We're in a series that we started last week called Upside Down. And the series is about this idea that what Jesus does, his kingdom is, uh, it's upside down to conventional wisdom and conventional norms and what we know in our culture. What, what Jesus wants for us and what he invites us into is very, very different than what the world uh, postulates is normal for us. Because what the world says is normal isn't normal in the kingdom of heaven. It's just the opposite. In John 18, 36, Jesus says this, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. So Jesus was, was uh, talking about how the, the Jewish leaders were trying to, to silence him and ultimately trying to kill him. And he said, hey, if my kingdom was of this world, we would put a stop to this. He's saying my kingdom is like no other kingdom you've ever experienced. Every kingdom you are familiar with, every type of leadership you think you know, my kingdom is different than that. That's what he's saying. And we have to get this in our head. But it's, it's difficult to say the least. Because in the kingdom of heaven, these principles that we're talking about, up is down and left is right, wrong is right, a bullseye doesn't even hit the target, and gaining is losing, last is first, and living is ultimately dying in the kingdom of heaven. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the apostle Paul tells the Roman church, he says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. So he said, don't live like this world lives. He says, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. He says, God wants to change you from the inside out. He wants to transform how you think. God wants us to love the way that he loves and to value what he values and to pursue the things he wants us to pursue, which is in contradiction to the things of this world. His culture looks different than the culture of this world. So what we're doing is we're just walking through some upside down principles of the kingdom of heaven. Last week, we talked about this principle that to be strong, you must be weak and this week, we're talking about this principle, to lead, you must serve. Um, Jesus was with his disciples, and in Mark chapter 10, verse 35, it says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him, to Jesus, and they said, Teacher, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request, he asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on the right and the other on your left. So I wanna help you with some context. Um, Jesus' followers assumed that Jesus' kingdom would be a kingdom like they knew, a kingdom they'd seen before. So they assumed what Jesus was coming to do was overthrow the Romans, and to assume an earthly kingdom, a kingdom with a throne and authority and power. And so James and John, they said, hey, we want to be a part of that. If you're going to be boss, we want some say. We want some authority. We want some power too. Uh, if, if somebody, if you work in a corporate setting and um, maybe a buddy of yours is getting promoted, you might say, hey, don't forget me when you get that corner office. Like, Put a word in for me, right? What are you saying? Like, hey, take care of your boy. You know, when you get going, when you get a place of authority, I, I, wanna, I wanna be hooked on with you. I wanna be part of that train, right? Don't leave me at the station. 
And so James and John are saying, don't forget about us. We wanna be in places of authority. In fact, they said, we wanna be on your right and left. We wanna be your top lieutenants whenever you have power. And this is normal because as we're gonna see, there is something in each of us that we want more authority. We want more power. We want to, to have more say. And so that's in each of us. But, but listen to the way Jesus responds. Verse 38. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink of the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? And, and so what he's saying is, do, do you have any idea what, what is about to happen to me? Do you have any idea what I'm about to endure? Uh, and he says, <laughs> You're, about, you're asking to drink a bitter cup of suffering. You're asking to be baptized in suffering. Some people, I mentioned baptism earlier, some people are a little nervous about baptism because they don't want to be up in front of people. And Jesus was like, no, 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 let's not even worry about that. Are you willing to be baptized not in water, in suffering? Because that's the baptism you're going to follow me in. And it's clear to me that they don't have any idea what he's talking about because listen to their response. Verse 39, oh yes, we're able. What? Do you have any idea what's happening? And the answer is no, they don't. Because we have the power of hindsight. We can look at the end of the story and we see that both of these men were martyred for the cause of Christ. They had no idea what they were signing up for at that moment. They had no idea what they were volunteering for. So Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with the baptism of suffering. He says, yes, you will. I know what's gonna happen. That's what's gonna occur. He goes on to say, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right and left in the kingdom, God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. So God says, uh, Jesus says, you don't have any idea what you're really asking, but you're gonna get what you're asking for. Have you ever gotten what you asked for and then after you got it, you were like, I didn't, I didn't know I was signing up for this. Like, oh, they didn't mention this. Is this in the fine print, right? Why? Because they assumed they were signing up for a kingdom that they were familiar with. And Jesus said, in my kingdom, the rules are different. In my kingdom, things look different. And you don't understand this upside down culture. Now listen to this, verse 41. When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. That is a nice way of saying they were ticked off, right? They were mad. I think they were mad probably for two reasons. Number one, they were probably a little frustrated that James and John would have the audacity to ask something like that. How dare they ask that? Who do they think they are asking that, right? And then I think the second thing probably was that they were a little frustrated that they didn't think of it first. <laughs> wow, why didn't we ask that? We should have asked that. God, stupid, right? Did anybody, if, if you've got kids, maybe you've experienced this. If you ever were a kid, maybe you experienced this. But... Um, I say that because for some of our people, I wonder if they were ever children. Um, so, so if you're ever a kid, you had siblings, and you were getting in the car, everybody knows the rules. You got to call shotgun. If you don't call shotgun, you don't get rights to the front seat, and whoever calls it first gets it, right? I, maybe you called it dibs. I call dibs. So if you call it, you get it. And, and that is almost this idea here that's like, oh, they called it. Great. And they're frustrated, right? Now, the reason they're frustrated is this principle I talk to my girls a lot about. Um, 
I don't pray with Abby every day because I'm not dropping her off at school like I did when she was in school. And with Emma, I'm still praying with her. Every day I drop her off, I'm praying with her. And one of the things I pray for her every day when I drop her off is that God will help her put others first in her life. And this principle of others first. And the idea is this, if I go first, there's potential for conflict. If you go first, there's potential for relationship. So let me show you. Um, Obviously, if you've ever driven in Pittsburgh, you know that traffic in Pittsburgh looks a little different than it does in Indiana, PA, right? Some of you have never driven to Pittsburgh, apparently. <laughs> Especially if you're trying to get to the airport, you're going through the Fort Pitt Tunnel about five o'clock in the evening, and you gotta tr- cross like eight lanes of traffic, and you're merging, and all this kind of stuff. And I've never done this intentionally, but from time to time, I may frustrate another driver on the road. And the reason I know they're frustrated with me is because they will indicate it when they tell me that I'm number one. (laughs) But it's weird. They always have an angry look. It's never like, hey, buddy, you're number one. It's always like, you're number one. That's how, right? So something will happen and I'll see it or they'll drive by me and honk and they'll pull in behind me and tell me I'm number one. But do you know what's never, ever, ever happened? Traffic will be stopped and it'll start to loosen up a little and I'll wave somebody in. I've never waved anybody in and then they go, you're number one, right? They've never said, I can't believe you'd let me go before you, you jerk. Who do you think you are letting me go first? No, do you know what happens? I go first and somebody else gets mad at me. But when I let them go first, they'll give me a wave. I gotta be honest with you, I'm a little judgmental about the people who don't wave. I'm like, I, I shouldn't have let you in. Who do you think you are? Oh, I need to wave. You won't even give it to me. Maybe that's an indicator that I'm serving with the wrong heart and the wrong spirit. I'll let the Holy Spirit deal with me later. This is a, an example we can make light of, but this principle is true. If you go first, there's potential for relationship. If I go first, there's potential for conflict. If we can apply this to just about any area of our life, think about your marriage. Think about your friendships. Anytime you put yourself first, there is a possibility that there's gonna be conflict. But whenever you say, I wanna serve the people around me, I wanna put their needs above my needs, I wanna put their desires above my desires, it's shocking how healthy relationships show up and are produced in that kind of environment. It's shocking how little someone will tell me I'm number one if I let them go first. You you can lose your salvation in the school drop-off line, right? This principle is true. You wave somebody in, they're great. But if you just stay bumper to bumper and you don't even make eye contact, that's the rule, right? If you make eye contact with somebody who's trying to merge in, you gotta let them in. But if you just look straight ahead and keep it real, we know. But how about this? How about if we just say, you know what? I'm gonna put others first. I'm gonna promote healthy relationships instead of promoting myself and getting what I want. And that's really what the disciples were doing. The disciples look at this and they go, wait a second. What do you think you're doing? Who do you think you are? But what if James and John would have said, hey, Jesus, we've been thinking about it. And Peter, man, he's fantastic. When you come into your kingdom, he needs to sit on your right hand. What do you think Peter would have said? 
Would he have been like, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa? No. Peter would have been, guys, come on. Oh, you shouldn't have done that. Thank you. I appreciate that, right? But that's not what was happening. They were putting themselves first. They were saying, we want the seats of honor. We want the seats of power. We want the seats of authority. And it causes conflict. Verse 42, so Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of this world lord it over the people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. So what Jesus says is, let me show you how this world functions. And he says, if you're an authority in command, there's an excellent chance that you enjoy it and that you flaunt your authority, that you, you take great pleasure in uh, being in charge. That's how it is in this world. What is what he says in verse 43. But among you, it will be different. He says this, but in my kingdom, it's going to look different than that. In my kingdom, it's not about having authority and having power. He goes on to say, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be slave of everyone else. If you want to be first, you go to the back of the line. He said, there's a way that things work in this world, and that is not how my kingdom is going to work. Everything you know from this world is gonna be flipped upside down. In the New American Standard Bible, it says, whoever wishes to be great among you shall be your servant. This word great in the Greek, it's megas. And it's where we get the word mega today. If you're gonna play the lotto, nobody wants to play the millions. They wanna play the mega millions, right? They don't want just a little bit of millions. They want all the millions, if, if, if you were saying somebody was a jerk, you'd be like, man, he's a jerk. And somebody else might go, he's a mega jerk, right? What are they saying? He's not just a jerk. He is a huge jerk. And we wouldn't do that because we love Jesus, right? <laughs> we would never call somebody a jerk or a mega jerk. Uh, but you understand this principle that, that there are normal things and then there's things that are mega. And mega means great or large or big. That's what it's talking about. And what Jesus says is, some of you want to be great. You want to be big. You want to be noticed. You want to be visible. You want to have power. You want to have authority. And if you want to do that, you have to be a servant. And the word for servant is diakonos. And diakonos means one who executes the commands of another. One who does what they're told is what it means. But, but it gives examples. The servant of a king, a deacon, talking about church context, a waiter, and it's interesting that when we see this word diakonos in scripture, it's used to describe deacons or elders or pastors in a church. That, that pastors aren't described as somebody with authority and power. Pastors are described as somebody who serves. Somebody who serves the needs of others, the commands of another. That's what it means. It's interesting though that they were specific about a waiter here. I'll be honest with you, I think people mistreat waiters and waitresses. And some of you that have been waiters and waitresses can probably attest to that. Um, it's crazy, because waiters and waitresses, I try to engage waiters and waitresses, be friendly to them, and uh, just encourage them, because people can be jerks sometimes. Sometimes people are mega jerks. So, uh, <laughs> don't let your kids listen to this message. They're all gonna start calling each other jerks. So it's interesting, though, because your waiter or waitress will come up to the table. Hey, how's everybody doing? I'm Ashley. I'm going to be your server today. And nobody ever introduces yourselves back to the waiter or waitress, do we? 
We're like, that's good, you've given us your name, servant. Now bring us our food, right? We never, it's not reciprocated. We don't go, oh, hey, I'm Mel. This is my wife, Kim, and these are our girls, right? It's just like, that's fine. We don't care what your name is. You're just here to bring us our food. That's all it is. And we don't say that, but that's kind of how we feel. And, And then they bring us our stuff. Hey, can we get some salt and pepper over here? Hey, I need a straw. Hey, can I get, and, and their job is to do what we ask them to do, right? And, and if they do that well, we, we tip them well. And if you don't tip them well, do not leave one of these cards with a bad tip for your waiters and waitresses, okay? Don't invite them to our church for Easter. Invite them to another church for Easter if you're gonna tip them badly, okay? Do me a favor. But what if this happens? What if you show up to the restaurant today after church and you sit down and the waitress walks up and goes, hey guys, I'm Ashley, I'll be your servant today. Uh, What can we get you started with? And you say, you know what, we'd like an appetizer. And she goes, "Mm, no, I don't think so. No, I'd I'd really like an appetizer. And "Mm, you don't need one. Okay, I guess we'll get started with the, the menu items. I, I, I'd like the prime rib with a baked potato loaded. No, you're gonna get a salad. <laughs> but I don't, I, don't, I don't want a salad. No, I'm doing you a favor. You need a salad. <laughs> what are you talking about, right? I, I might be a little indignant at that point. I might be a little frustrated. I'm like, you're, you don't understand your role. Your role is to do what I'm asking you to do, Right? I give you the order, you bring me the food. So if you had a waiter or waitress like that, they probably would not get a great tip. You might even talk to the manager and go, do they know how this is supposed to work, how this is supposed to function? Because they're not doing what I'm asking them to do. They clearly don't understand how this is supposed to go. And one of my greatest frustrations as a pastor is people who say things like, Jesus, you can have it all. Jesus, I'll do anything you want me to do but I'm only gonna serve the way I wanna serve and how I wanna serve and when I wanna serve and only if it's convenient and only if it's comfortable and only if it's easy. It's just like the waitress walking up and going, nah, you need a salad. Oh yeah, I'm gonna serve you, but I'm gonna serve you how I think I should serve you. And yet we don't mind going to our church and serving that way or going to our community and serving that way or going to our neighbors and serving that way or going to our families and serving that way or going to the God of the universe and serving that way. Oh God, I'll do whatever you want me to do as long as it's exactly what I want to do. And yet we think this is normal because we're so accustomed to the culture of this world. And in the kingdom of heaven, if you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. In John chapter three, um, there's this great story where John the Baptist, he was the forerunner for Jesus and um, he he had already built a following for his ministry. When Jesus comes on the scene, he baptizes Jesus and kind of ushers in his public ministry. And in John 3.30, it's interesting because some of John's followers, some of his disciples come to John the Baptist and they go, John, we got problems. What's going on? He said, some of our people are going to Jesus. John's like, okay. He's like, no, 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 you don't understand. We're losing followers to Jesus. This is a problem. 
And John says, he must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. He doesn't say, who does he think he is? These are my people. He understands. This is not about me, it's about the kingdom. It's not about my power and my authority. It's about God advancing. And, and did John the Baptist have to battle that probably? Probably a little in his flesh. He had to go, oh gosh, they like him better than me. But in his spirit, he had to say, you know what? I'm here to serve his purpose and his plan, so I'm good with that. Was it easy? No. That's what he's called to do. That's what we're called to do. So why? Why Why would we be asked to do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. In verse 45 of Mark 10, Jesus goes on to say this, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus said, my purpose is not to get or gain or accumulate. My purpose is to serve. If there was anyone who had the right to be served and to demand to be served, it was Jesus Christ, the incarnate person of God, the son of God, on planet earth. But yet he says explicitly, I didn't come for you to do for me, I came to do for you. And I'm not just gonna serve you, I'm gonna serve you to the point that I lay down my life for you. For people who didn't deserve it. For people who were his enemies. That's how much he wanted to serve us. He didn't leverage his position or his title or his authority to benefit himself. One of my coaches, one of my pastors, Gerald Brooks, he's been with us from time to time and he'll be back with us this year later. He says this, he says this all the time. He says, when you become a leader, you lose the right to think about yourself. When you become a leader, you lose the right to think about yourself. We could substitute the word parent here for leader. At least we should be able to because a good parent is gonna put the needs of their child above their own needs. I think you may have seen a parent who didn't look like they were really looking out for the needs of their kids like they should, and there's something in you that goes, wait a second, this isn't right. Because deep within us, there are seeds of the kingdom of heaven, and there's something in us that goes, no, 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 we gotta push back against this culture a little bit. This doesn't seem right, this doesn't feel right. Galatians chapter five, verse 13. Um. <laughs> In this context, in Galatians chapter five, Paul was talking to the Galatian church, and really the New Testament church was struggling because they had people who had come to faith in Jesus but had a Jewish background, and you had people who, who were Gentiles who had no Jewish background had come to faith in Jesus. And so there was this culture war within churches because these Jewish believers were saying, no, 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 if you wanna be a Christian, you've gotta do all these things that Jewish people do. You've gotta observe certain practices and principles, and here's what it looks like. And the Gentiles were like, we don't want to do that. So not to be awkward, but let me just give you an example. The Jewish believers were saying, hey, all you Gentiles that are coming to faith in Jesus, you need to be circumcised. And can you imagine if you showed up to our growth track class and in growth track you found out that we strongly encourage all the male members of our church to be circumcised before they can become a member. You might, you could probably imagine how that would limit growth in our church, right? There would be some people that would be like, wait, what? And they'd be like, let's get our stuff, let's go. We are leaving. 
<laughs> I am not signing up for this. And the wife's like, it doesn't sound that bad. And you're like, ah, we are leaving, right? <laughs> we want no part of this. <laughs> so, so this is what was going on in the New Testament church. There was this conflict. And, and Paul's trying to help the church navigate this. So what we ultimately see is Paul says, don't make it difficult for new believers to come to faith in Jesus Christ. We, we don't need to put any more rules on this is what he says. But this is what he says specifically in this moment. He's talking about the freedom we have in Jesus, the freedom from some of the old, um, some of the old religious laws that were connected to worship. And he says this, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. So he says, don't use your freedom for selfish purposes. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he's quoting Leviticus 19.18 here. Love your neighbor as yourself. Put the needs of the people around you above your needs. Love them really well. Love them sacrificially. That's what he's saying. I, I read a book um, last year during quarantine. Um, it was about the Enron scandal. Does anybody remember Enron years ago? Enron? Uh, it was called The Smartest Guys in the Room. And it's an older book. It was a really fascinating read. And this whole book and this whole scandal happened because there were people at the top of the organization who were leveraging their position for selfish gain. And they were jeopardizing the investments of regular people throughout the world. Um, there were there were retirements that were lost. There were savings that were lost. There were people who were impacted because these people at the top were only looking out for themselves. They ultimately shut the business down. Tens of thousands of people lost their jobs because of it. Um, a more recent example would be the banking crisis, um, 2008 or so, the housing crisis. Um, and what we saw was all these banks were making bad bets. They were, they were supporting um, these these bad mortgages and all these mortgages defaulted and now all these banks were in trouble and these banks had to close or merge. But what was happening is these people at the top levels of the organization, they were still getting huge bonuses, multi-million dollar bonuses, even though they were laying off tens of thousands of people in their organization. Even though people were losing their homes and their retirements, these people at the top were still getting um, golden parachutes. And there was a visceral response in our nation. There were people that were angry. If you remember the story we just read about the disciples, they were indignant. They were saying, this isn't fair, this isn't right, because again, there's something in us that says there, there should be, there should be leaders who look out for the people below them. There's something in us that we say, that's the way it should be, but that's not the way it is in our world so many times. But that's the way it should be in the kingdom of heaven. Lieutenant General George Flynn of the U.S. Marine Corps said this, the cost of leadership is self-interest. See, we all want to lead. We all want to be charged. We all want to be the boss. But what we don't understand is when we get to that position, in order to get to that position, we have to divorce ourselves of self-interest. We have to lay ourselves down for the good of the people we're leading. And this all comes very naturally to us. Back in Genesis, a few weeks ago, we talked about shame. Um... We talked about this idea that I'm nothing more than my worst moment. And we talked a little about what happened in the garden. In the garden, um, Adam and Eve, they were formed. Uh, things were good at the end of chapter two. 
They were naked and unashamed, and then sin enters in. They uh, rebel against God. They recognize their own nakedness and their own sinfulness. They cover themselves up. They have this conversation with God. God confronts them, and then God has to punish them because God is a, is a holy God. He's a righteous God. So there, is, there are consequences for their actions. And so this is where, this is what God says to, to Eve in Genesis 3.16, he says to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. So all the ladies are thankful for Eve. Thanks, Eve, for helping us with that one, right? And that's where we stop sometimes. But it goes on, it says, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And many times pastor will, pastors will apply this passage simply as women strive to control their husbands. There's this, there's this power struggle in a marriage. And if you've seen marriage or, or you are married, you understand that there's something to that. But many times we stop there and we go, see, this is a, a consequence of the fall. But, but I want to help you with something. It's this word that was used as control here. It's used again in the next chapter. And this is in Genesis chapter four. This is when, um, Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve, they've offered, uh, they've offered an offering to God. And Abel offers uh, his firstborn of his flocks. And Cain offers some of his grains from his harvest. And God accepts Abel's offering, but he doesn't accept Cain's offering. And the reason is because Abel offers him his first fruit. It is the first and the best of what he's got. Cain offers some of what he's got. And, and God confronts him. And this is what God says in Genesis 4, 7. You will be accepted, he's talking to Cain, you will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Listen to what he says. Sin is crouching at your door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. He uses the same word that's used in chapter three. And this word has this connotation that, that sin wants to dominate you. Sin wants to master you, but you have to master it is what he's saying. And the same word, the same context is used with a woman wanting to dominate or master her husband. So let me help you with this. This isn't just a female issue. Did you know that? This is a human sin issue. Because every one of us want to enforce our will on others. Every one of us want to be in control. Every one of us want to dominate people around us. We don't want what you, I want what I want. And if you don't believe it, you're not paying attention to our culture. Because all around us, we have people who are wanting to dominate other voices and say, you can't say that and you can't do that. And, and <laughs> oh, 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 we're teetering on the edge here. Sorry, we got close. And we live in a culture that says, if, if you say something that I don't like, I'm gonna cancel you. We're gonna, we're, we don't, we can't agree to disagree. We're gonna shut you down. We want to dominate you. And this isn't a left issue or a right issue. This is a human sin issue. It's a problem for us. And it starts in the garden where we want to be in control and we want to be the boss and we want to be in power. But that is not who God has called us to be. That is what the world says. That is the kingdoms of this world. world but that is not the kingdom of Jesus. Albert Einstein says, the high destiny of an individual is to serve rather than rule. And he was on to something. He understood this principle very well. In John chapter 13, toward the end of Jesus' life, what we see is he's, um, he's had a meal with his disciples and, uh, and he's 
he's preparing to wash their feet. And so he, uh, he takes off his outer garment, his robe, and he basically, he kind of strips down to like his undershirt. And he wraps a towel around his waist and he begins to go disciple by disciple, begins washing their feet. Now, this might not seem like a big deal for us, but this is a really big deal because this was the most menial task in a household. In fact, if there were multiple servants in a household, the lowest servant was the one who would be washing feet. And so if somebody like Jesus showed up in a house, he, he is gonna be a guest, so he's gonna have a place of honor anyway. But he's a rabbi, he's a teacher, he's someone who's esteemed. So there is no way Jesus is gonna be washing anybody's feet in this house. There's a hierarchy and he is way at the top. And there are a whole bunch of people before you get to the bottom. So there's no way he's supposed to be washing feet. But he begins to prepare to wash feet. And some of the disciples are like, no, 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 you can't do that. And Peter actually says, Peter, I love Peter. He goes, hey, you can't wash my feet. And Jesus says, hey, if, you, if I don't wash your feet, you've got no part in my kingdom. And then Peter goes, well, wash my hands and wash my face. Wash all of me, Lord. And Jesus is like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Hold on a second, my man. <laughs> So he washes their feet and he finishes up in verse 12. And this is what he says. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord and you're right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you see these things or know these things, God will bless you for doing them. So again, he's saying, guys, in our culture, I would never wash your feet. In the culture we live in in this world, my job is not to wash feet according to the world, but in my culture, in, in, in this upside down culture, because I'm the greatest, I'm washing your feet. And then he says, and I want you to hear this, you're not better than I am. So if I do it, I'm asking you to do it as well. If, if I can lower myself and wash feet, you need to be washing feet. That's what Jesus is inviting us into. Aren't you excited about washing feet? It's so counter to what the world says, but that is how we become great in God's eyes. See, that word megas in the world, we achieve greatness by achieving, by accumulating, by doing, by exerting authority and influence. That's greatness in the eyes of the world. But in the eyes of God, greatness is washing feet. That's great in the eyes of God. Serving your family, serving your neighbors, serving your church, that's great in the eyes of God because the kingdom of, of God is upside down. I know lots of parents, and maybe you're one of these parents who never, ever get a, a hot meal. And the reason they don't eat hot meals is because they're busy serving their kids. They serve their kids their food and their kids are eating and by the time mom or dad get to their meal, the meal's lukewarm at best, maybe cold. But a parent will do that. Why do they do that? Because they love their kids. And a parent will say, I'll give you the best and I'll take the worst, but it's worth it because I love you. 
That's a principle of this upside down kingdom. That, that as leaders, we take the worst and we give away the best. We will eat a cold meal so that others can have a hot meal. That's what God's invited us into. We don't do it because we have to. We do it because we get to. My mom ate lots of cold meals through her life. I'm grateful for that because she put us first. It was never a chore or drudgery because she loved us. Jesus puts us first. He served us. He laid down his life for us as a ransom. He was willing to do it. He gave us the best. He took the worst because he loves you. A friend of mine named Peter Haas pastors a wonderful church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And Peter, he was with us a few years ago, and he said this. He says, if you're unhappy with your walk with God, maybe it's time to take off a bib and put on an apron. Maybe it's time for us to stop demanding hot food and start serving hot food to the people around us. Maybe it's time for us to start enjoying a cold meal because of what it means for the people around us. We get to serve others. We get to bless others. We get to help others. Other people are gonna have the best because I'm willing to take the worst. Other people can be first because I'm willing to be last. Is that fun in the context of our world? No. Does it seem counterintuitive? Absolutely. But this is the upside down kingdom of heaven. This is what God has invited us into. This is what we get to do. You know, my prayer as crazy as it sounds, my prayer is that we as a church will start loving cold food because of what it means for the people that we're supposed to be loving, what it means for our family, what it means for our neighborhoods, what it means for our community, what it means for our world, what it means for our church. Someone else can go first because I'm gonna go last. This stuff isn't fun, but it's so important, it's so vital you know, I've said before, I think we're never more like Christ than when we give, but I, I, I would challenge that a little bit and say, I think we're never more like Christ than when we serve. When we serve, we are reflecting the love of Christ to our world because that's what he does. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for loving us so much. I pray you would bless these next few moments. I pray you'd be glorified in it. I pray that you'd speak life through it. I pray for the people that don't know you today. Let them come to, to faith in you. Let them surrender their lives to you. Let them see how good you are. Let them experience that. God, I pray for those that are here that, that know you, but they, they struggle to put others first. They struggle with this, this upside down principle. I pray that today we would get it in our hearts that to, to, to really lead, we have to serve. And if we wanna be great, we have to become least. So God, let that get in us. Help us to be excited about cold meals. Help us to be excited about putting other people above ourselves. So God, be glorified through that. With your head bowed and your eyes closed and nobody's looking around, if you'd say to me today, Mel, I'm not really serving God, I'm not really in relationship with Jesus, I've never really surrendered to his lordship. I've never really surrendered to his kingship in my life, but I know I need to. I'm not gonna embarrass you. 
I just wanna say a simple prayer with you today. And if, you, if you'd say to me, Mel, I wanna be included in that prayer. I wanna surrender my life to Christ. Would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high where I can see it? You can put it right back down. Yeah, thank you on my left. Yeah, a couple hands. Thank you. Yeah, three hands on my left. Center section, I see you. Thank you, sir. Yeah, on my right, I see you in the back. Thank you. Praise God. Who else? You'd say, Mel, include me in this prayer. I wanna surrender my life to Christ today. <laughs> yeah, I see you in the balcony. Thank you. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else wanna join these? book of Romans tells us if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So what I'd like to do is I want to say a simple prayer with you. And I want you to pray this with me out loud, but I want you to mean it from the very center, the core of who you are, from your heart. So I want you to say this with me, whether you raise your hand or not, say this prayer with me out loud. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me and for giving Jesus your only son, to pay the ransom for my sins. From now on, I repent of all my sin and I'm asking you to forgive me. Make me your child and help me live a life that brings you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause today. Listen, for those of you that prayed that prayer with you, raised your hand or not, I want you to know something. Um, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it from the core of who you are, you're a new creation today. And the old is gone and the new has come. And we wanna help you in your faith journey. So there's a couple things you can do. The simplest is to simply um, text Summit PA to the number 94000. When you do that, you're gonna have a chance to respond, have some prompts. If you'll select salvation, we're gonna help you take the next step in your faith journey. You can also fill out the card that's in the seat back in front of you, take it over to Info Center, and they're gonna give you a Bible, help you on your faith journey. We'd love to get you connected with Starting Point and some different resources to grow in your faith. If you're watching online and you prayed that prayer with us, uh, let us know. Text Summit PA to 94000, and we're gonna help you help you get connected to a life-giving church in your area as well. So thank you so much for joining us today. Really do appreciate it. Um, here's what's gonna happen now. I'm gonna say a final prayer over you guys. And as I do, I'm gonna invite the prayer team to join me here at the front of this room. And if you need prayer for any reason at all, no matter what it may be, as we're dismissed today, I'd love for you to make your way forward. Let them pray with you before you go. So let me pray a prayer of blessing over you before we're dismissed. God, thank you so much for what you've done in this place. Thank you for people who've said yes to you. I pray that, Lord, that the seed that had been planted would find good soil, that, Lord, it would produce fruit and that they would grow into the man or woman that you've called them to be. So, God, I pray blessing on them in your name. I pray that they would walk out of here with a faith that, that is full and assured and confident in you. So, God, have your way with us today. I pray that we would seek to serve the people we come into contact with. Lord, people in our family, in our community, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in this church. Lord, I pray that you would help us be servants so that we can reflect your glory wherever we go and whatever we do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.